Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you so much for hanging out. Pleasure and a privilege to have you joining me here in the Freedom Hut, we have a Freestyle Friday in effect, which means we're going to cover a whole bunch of different things throughout the show, get into some serious stuff, have some fun, and of course, a little bit of a St. Patrick's Day celebration coming up uh, later on. So, we have a couple of main news stories I wanted to get to today, and uh, that has to do with the latest on the investigation, McCabe. I think we're on... McCabe firing watch still, right? This could happen. It may occur even while we are on air. There is the chance that we will bring you the the, the on air as it happens, or as is reported at least, breaking news about the firing. And so that's just just keep that in mind, that we might be spicing up this Friday show a little bit uh, with some some breaking news there. And I would say about the McCabe firing, usually I would refrain from having any sort of a, a celebratory tone or, and, and I'm not, by the way, I, I would not celebrate it. I think it may be justice, but I would not celebrate it. There's a difference. But usually I'd be a little more sympathetic to a multi-decade, a multi-decade government servant who was about to get his pension. It seems a little... Intense, But then you realize two things, or at least I realize two things as I think about this. One, the conduct must be really egregious for the inspector general of the FBI to feel that a termination at this stage of McCabe's career is necessary. We don't know what the conduct is yet. So I can't feel, well, we don't even know if he's going to get fired, right? But worried to be fired and we don't know for what, not clear to me if it's, a bit stern or if it's exactly what is called for uh, without knowing the facts. I lean toward it must have been really bad if they're thinking about this. Uh, and then there's the the other component of this. I guess I'm getting into the McCabe stuff. I'm, I'm switching the script here. I know. I This is all just a, a show that comes together in my head. So it's not like we write it all out beforehand and we've got blocks and different segments like on TV. And now we have to have this person on, right? I can do whatever I want. The Freedom Hut is a free flowing. It's almost like a living organism, my friends, all of us together. So the McCabe firing may in fact happen. The other reason that I find myself feeling a little bit like, hey, uh, I can't. I can't feel too much sympathy for the possible firing of McCabe is that other people who may in fact have suffered from McCabe's partisan actions have been ruined in this process of figuring out what happened and who was doing what at the DOJ, FBI, Russia collusion, the Mueller probe, uh, all this stuff, right? All these different pieces that are coming together. And it's hard to feel all that much 
uh, sadness for somebody who may have not just stood by, but been a part of trying to ruin other people's lives. It, it troubles me that we have now come to a place in our political discourse where we seem to, and when I say we, I mean a lot of Americans, not really you and me, but a lot of Americans seem to just want whoever disagrees with them to be charged with the crime. And I would say, well, it's different with Hillary because it's not that we didn't conjure up Hillary's uh, crime. She committed them and they were real and she got away with it. But they still want to lock up people on the other side of the aisle for minor crimes or perhaps even no crime at all. You had a Dershowitz, Alan Dershowitz, speaking about this and this comparison earlier today. The uh, Harvard Law professor, I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Here's what uh, was said. General Flynn pled guilty to lying to Mm -hmm. investigators. A lot of people say, hey, look, he did. General Flynn did no worse than what Mr. McCabe did. And he lost everything. Uh, Is is that Mm -hmm. a fair comparison? No, he shouldn't have pleaded guilty if he wasn't guilty. Uh, He obviously pleaded guilty. That ends the matter. But I haven't heard anything about McCabe acknowledging or admitting anything. Absent an admission, I think you need proof. So, you know, Dershowitz is saying he shouldn't have pleaded guilty. But the fact of the matter is that when you face down federal prosecutors and the federal government and they have you on one of these things and they may be hiding exculpatory information, they may be colluding behind the scenes. What choice do you really have? I've I've spoken to friends of mine on the uh, prosecutorial side about this and they'll say, you know, if we offer you a deal, you don't take it, because the federal sentences are stiff. They are rough. I mean, it's easy for Dershowitz to say this, but the, but the reality is that for Flynn, uh, for Flynn, if he had not taken a deal, he could have gotten the max, maybe. Who knows? They could say, oh, there's extenuating circumstances. At a minimum, he's going to serve a year or two in prison. Prison for lying about a non-crime. And now we have McCabe, more and more information. By the way, I have a story, big story today. It's actually the main story on, I believe, on Fox News right now as we go on air um, on foxnews.com. Uh, yes, it is. Struck page texts reveal personal relationship between FBI official and judge recused from the Flynn case. We have Sean Davis joining us uh, later on in the show today. With that information, he is the co-author with Molly Hemingway of this piece. They have the text messages that show this very strange relationship between a DOJ lawyer, FBI agent who was, keep in mind, the director of counterintelligence at FBI, or maybe he was a deputy director, but very senior counterintelligence officer at the FBI, involved in the Hillary email investigation, involved in the Mueller probe in the early stages, had to be pushed out of the Mueller probe. And he had a relationship with a FISA court judge that seems very, very shady. In fact, it was the same judge who presided over the guilty plea of General Flynn. So to Dershowitz's point, okay, the process is the process, but what if the process is tainted? What about the Ted Stevens situation? Um, What about that? Where you had a senator who was railroaded by partisan prosecutors, whether it was because they didn't like Republicans or because they just wanted to get a scalp. That's on the record. That's clear. They hid evidence. So, yeah, Stevens was facing 
all these charges. They had exculpatory evidence on the senator from Alaska. And by the way, that then led to the Democrats picking up that Senate seat, which was necessary for the passage of Obamacare. Understand, I guess you could call it the political butterfly effect here, if prosecutors going after Ted Stevens can result in a situation where Obamacare can be passed. We need to take these things very seriously when you're talking about corruption cases at a high level. And it doesn't get any higher than a presidential campaign and the presidential administration that we are currently uh, is currently embattled. Um, Ari Fleischer took a slightly different tone than Dershowitz today. Remember him from the uh, Bush administration? Look, there's only one right way to do this, and it's by the book. If there is precedent, if the FBI inspector general has previously fired people, meaning they did not get any of their pension, Mm -hmm. they should follow that precedent. If there are examples where there are mitigating circumstances, do those apply here? Taking away a man's pension, a woman's pension, who has been a lifelong government bureaucrat, is a heavy, heavy sentence. should only be imposed if it's deserved. The facts in this case seem to suggest it's deserved. Uh, we got to know what they are. And I think that we're going to be finding out here relatively soon. I think he's going to get fired. I said it today on Outnumbered on the Fox News couch. I, I believe McCabe is going to get fired, which is rare. I remember when I was at the uh, NYPD, there was a case. It was some time before I got there about um, a guy who had misused subpoena power, uh, misused subpoena power in order to get the records of either an ex-wife or an ex-girlfriend. I forget. But that's a bit, I mean, it is a huge no-no. And he had been on for a long time. And I, I think he lost, I think he lost, I don't remember now. I think he lost his pension. Pretty sure he did for subpoenaing the phone records. So that's, it, this can happen. And it is really for a government servant, uh, short of criminal sanction, it's the, it's the ultimate the ultimate punishment, because if you're if you're close to getting and this guy's days from getting his pension, this is what you've been looking forward to and waiting for for a long time. So we will see. But I think he's going to get he's going to get canned. Uh, Jonathan Turley, the law professor, uh, he also spoke about this. I'm just trying to give you a, a variety of feelings and opinions on this one. I actually meant to go to Turley first, but I went to Dershowitz instead, who is you never know what you're going to get with the Dersh, you know. Dersh is uh, he's he's kind of a wild man. Sometimes sometimes you're with him, sometimes you're not. Turley, he's uh, he's a steady player in the legal analysis side. Here's what he had to say. The real strange thing about all of this is that McCabe so far has been worried more about pensions than prison. That's not the choice that was given to Michael Flynn. Michael Flynn, uh, if you recall, was charged with false statements, even though Comey's investigators reportedly believed that Flynn didn't intend to mislead them. That's not apparently the conclusion of the inspector general with regard to McCabe. He's very important. The FBI inspector general, from what we know, claims that there was a lack of candor from McCabe with regard to his statements to investigators within the FBI's inspector general team about what happened when it came to the uh, when it came to discussions with the media and perhaps anything that had to do with either the Hillary email investigation and or looking into the Clinton Foundation. And a lack of candor is a bureaucratese way of saying lied. 
But you'll notice how important words are, right? Extremely careless versus gross negligence. That kept Hillary out of prison, courtesy of lanky weirdo Comey. Changing just those words was exculpatory. Oh, well, she wasn't grossly negligent. She was just extremely careless. Andy McCabe, he's at a different category, different standard, because he wasn't lying. He was just lacking candor. Oh. You'll see how lacking candor for Andy McCabe may or may not result in disciplinary sanction, but a judgment call about the veracity, about the truthfulness of General Michael Flynn, a judgment call was made that he should be criminally prosecuted for. And if it was a judgment call, my friends, don't you think he should have gotten the benefit of the doubt? That's what we keep seeing time and again from all of these investigations. Hillary's emails, the Clinton Foundation, Russia collusion, all of it. The Democrat somehow always gets the benefit of the doubt and then some. The Republican, the person tied to Trump, gets what? The doubt of the benefit, whatever we would call it, gets the raw end of the deal. The raw end of the deal. And this happens with too great a consistency and too great a frequency for it to be a coincidence. This is the deep state that we talk about. This is the corruption that grew to the very top of the Department of Justice and the FBI. And we are just beginning to get some of the truth here. We're just beginning to see this for what it really was. We'll have uh, we got more on this. And also people are. Whoa, Russia. Russia is getting interesting right now. They've they've retaliated. Uh, I'll give you the details on that. You'll have to stay with me. But also, it is Friday. So, John, let's not leave people out who want to get in on the... I'm putting... Action. Get to the chopper! Movie. People keep asking if I'm back. And I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Quote. You have a right to be dead. Fridays. Action ah! movie quote Fridays. I know Kung Fu. 844-900-2825. My friends, 844-900-BUCK. Talking more about shady DOJ stuff, McCabe's pension on the line, and then Russia. All that and more coming up. The behavior, if it's manifested into action with your thumb on the scale of a particular investigation, one way or the other, then that, I mean, that, that's borderline criminal behavior, manipulating an investigation. I think, I think the, this IG report is going to be particularly impactful, hmm. more so than any of these useless congressional investigations. I think you're going to see some pure TNT come out in this, in this IG report. That was uh, Chris Swecker, who is an assistant, who was the assistant director of the FBI. He was on Fox News, actually, right after, right after I was on today, and uh, making some some predictions. I, I totally agree with him. And there is something. There's there are criminal statutes that can apply. Just because you're in government doesn't give you a free pass with stuff. We all know that, obviously, with classified information, you have criminal ramifications for that, but also official misconduct. Uh, And it doesn't just have to be fraud. If you do something really, really bad and use your authority as a government employee to do it, 
getting fired is not the worst thing that can happen to you. There are other things that can happen to you, too. Um, so I think everyone needs to remember that with this whole FBI situation as well. We have to see what comes out. I think the, the IG report will be made public, so we will know. Um, Jesse in Jackson, Mississippi. Hey, Jesse. Greetings, Buck. Shields high, brother. Shields high, Jesse. I just had to call and mess with you a little bit. I, I happened to be watching uh, Outnumbered this morning. <laughs> On Fox? Yeah, nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah I love that show. Uh, you know, it's funny because I, I watch you on TV, and it's, it amazes me because you look like you're about to graduate from high school. You're a very young-looking guy to have the experience and the knowledge. And I know. I'm, I'm almost you. 40, man, as Miss Molly keeps reminding me. I'm, up, I'm getting up there. Yeah, but, I mean, you look like a kid. But I sat there, and I watched you right on the verge of losing your cool with Marie Harf. And I'm like, well, he's going to choke her any minute now. Uh, you know i gotta i gotta tell you i gotta tell you something people don't i don't think they know this but it's actually it's actually all love because marie and i go way back i've known marie for we figured it out today on set for 12 years marie's a friend of mine we have a lot of mutual friends in common we knew each other back in dc marie harf who you see on fox all the time is an old friend of mine jillian turner who you also see on fox news she's a friend of mine from when i lived in dc and um, was with the agency. So some of the fo- some of the other national security pundits you see out there were literally my social group in D.C., which is pretty funny when you think about it. Yeah, I, I mean, you went from smiling to rolling your eyes to eventually looking like you wanted to choke her. Well, well can we st- let's let's you know let's there's no <laughs> no no need for choking imagery here. Uh, look, I think um, we, we got it got a little te- it got a little testy today sometimes, but it was all within the. It was all based on the substance. And I got to say, I think I was actually much more, uh, the, some of my, my colleagues were having a much more strenuous debate than I was having with any of them. Yeah, there was, they, off yeah, to my left, things were getting really feisty for those of you who want to go back and see it. I mean, you know, look, sometimes I get a little spunky on TV. What can I tell you, Jesse? Hey, but I know, I know you're just giving me a little bit of the rough stuff, but it's all in love. Good to talk. Yeah, Jesse's laughing. He's having a good laugh. Jesse's got a good laugh. Shields high, brother. Thank you for calling in. 844-900-2825. You want to chat with me, please uh, give me a ring. We've got lines open here. We've got a bunch of phenomenal guests lined up. I think we got three guests lined up on the show later on coming up. So just keeping you on your toes, team. Can't keep you bored on a Friday. It's going to be fun. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Uh, we want to get to the bottom of it, and we're really upset when you see that, that at the highest levels of the DOJ and FBI, individuals who are trying to turn their departments you know, essentially into a, a political arm of the DNC and Hillary Clinton no. campaign. That needs to be investigated. Yes, it does. Shoes is going to be on the other foot, folks. The pendulum can swing the other way with using investigations as a weapon of politics. And in this case, I think it's justified. I don't even th- I'm not even looking at this from the cynical perspective, although we could. You got the party in powers getting hounded with all these investigations. Oh, yeah, they want to play that way. Maybe we should play that way. Maybe two can play at that game. I think it's about time. They think that the Mueller probe should stretch on for... Two, three, four years. Yeah, just more and more investigations, witnesses, people losing their life savings, trying to defend themselves. Leaks to the, just to the CNN. Le CNN. They would probably love that. It's so fancy. Le CNN is magnifique. 
but uh, Washington Post, New York Times, all these others. And maybe we should just start investigating them, see how they like it. You know, do unto others. Might be a lesson we need to teach the Democrat deep state. Do unto others. A reminder of the golden rule via federal investigation. It could be. It's, it's a way, folks. It's one method. We could try it. All right. Lots of lines lit. Oh, I think every line's lit. All right. Let's get into it. We have, uh, first up, Horace in Columbia, South Carolina. Hey, Horace. Hey, Buck. How's it going, man? It's good. Thank you for your call, sir. Uh, yes, sir. So your show yesterday was very timely uh, with with the whole topic of liberals not wanting to use facts to debate. Yes, the psychology uh, of liberal host- or progressive hostility. <laughs> right. So with the whole gun control debate coming up again, I mean, I've lived through this as many times as you have. I've tried to step outside of my box and say, okay, do they have a coherent argument somewhere like Glenn Beck's control book on our side or John Lott's books? Is there anything you could point me to where they have any sort of factual, this is our side on gun control and why we want it? I, I can't think of what the, the single seminal work would be on the left for gun control off the top of my head. But I would say that if you want to know what they think and what the arguments are that they use, I actually have a web browser. This is true. I have a web browser that is just bookmarked with and filled with all of my leftist reading material. So I go on Huffington Post, Slate, New York Times, which was really interesting to me because part of that article I told you about, about the psychology of progressive hostility in debates, was we know their side and they don't know ours. I actually spend a good portion of my time every day reading how the left explains to their own different arguments and ideas and what their positions are so that I really understand them. So so really, I I think the best place to go would just be do a a search in the New York Times editorial page of uh, on guns. Same thing, the Washington Post. And you'll see a consolidation there of what the progressive view is in terms of any one book i don't know of a i don't know of a liberal that has tackled the issue of gun control from the perspective of let's go all in because here's the thing horace they don't want to put down on paper for the most part what the real goal is which is confiscation and the elimination right. of the second amendment remember that there's yeah, a di- I mean, I, there's I, a I, dishonesty I, that's inherent <laughs> in a lot of liberal arguments against guns and that they won't tell us what they really want which is confiscation. Yeah, well, anything. I, I found it hard. You know, I, I forked out from guns and looked at just what is their stance on abortion? Can they give a coherent, here is why we, they can't. They, there's. Oh, they would point you to, uh, they would point you to the judicial opinion Roe v. Wade, I think, is probably there. Which is bogus. I mean, that's. You're, I, 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 right. I, mean, I agree with you, but I'm just saying that's probably what they would say. And you'll notice, I mean, the arguments that they use in favor of abortion, it's a lot of buzzwords and a lot of sloppy thinking. It's very weak. Even honest liberals that I know will say that Roe v. Wade is, is garbage legal interpretation, but they still agree with the they agree with the outcome, but they know that it's bad law. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, it is. Uh, and. You know, look, this is, oh, wow, I'm just noticing now they're, they're running the text messages between Paige and Strzok on TV as we we're on the air, Horace. We'll have to get to that in a second. But as, as for a, you know what, Horace, let me give this some thought. You know who'd be the guy to ask? I will, because I'm in contact with him. I'm in contact directly with John Lott. I'll send him a message and say, hey, what's the best 
one place counter argument book on basically pro gun control. And I'll see what he says. And uh, if I get an answer, I'll let you know. How about that? I appreciate it. Yeah, you right. can just mention it on your show. I Absolutely. Night, so uh, rock and roll, brother. Thank you for calling in. Have a great St. Patrick's Day and a good weekend. Let's take, uh, we've got so many wonderful callers here today. Herb in New Jersey. What up, Herb? Hey, Shields High, Buck. Shields High, Herb. I have uh, just two quick comments before I get to my point. First of all, during your opening monologue, you had me chuckle a couple of times, and I thought to myself, man, Buck is such a fun guy to hang out with, even if only on the radio. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're, you're certainly you're certainly welcome. Um, it, it's it's a great show. Um, my second comment is, um, and, and you know, try. I hope you're wearing a hat to keep your head from swelling up. Here we go. Um, because of your uh, background, <clears throat> you see so many things that most of us will never see. And when you're offering your analysis on the air. Uh, be it on radio or TV, um, you're, you're doing so from a lens that sees things uh, a little bit deeper than most of us will ever understand. And for that, I just want to thank you for what you do uh, here on the air with us. Well, you're very kind, Herb. Thank you. Now, going uh, to my point, um, you know, I, I believed and fully supported and still do uh, President Trump um, and in particular, um, uh, you know, I was encouraged by his promise to drain the swamp. Now, in the case of Mr. McCabe, if he doesn't instruct Attorney General Sessions to make sure that Mr. McCabe is fired um, as a message to all the other uh, bad actors, um, you think, you think that would be disappointing and that would be failing to uphold Trump's promise of draining the swamp, right? Absolutely. Yeah, well, I, I can agree with you in principle, although the way that this works is actually the president doesn't have any direct say over this because it falls under civil service rules. It's actually not something the president weighs in on specifically. That said, the IG report, I believe, has already recommended firing. It's up to... It's up to the attorney general. So the IG, of course, is the inspector general. For everybody listening, the AG, the attorney general, can decide that he's going to go with the recommendation or not. So it's really, Herb, in Attorney General Sessions's hands whether this is uh, going to be a firing or not. And we will have to see. And thank you for all your kind words, sir. Shields high and have a great weekend and a great St. Patrick's Day. Shields high. Uh, let's take Steve in Biloxi, Mississippi. Hey, Steve. Steve, I hear a TV, but I don't hear you. Where are you, my friend? <laughs> I think Steve took a nap. Steve's disappeared on us. Oh, he's listening on delay, maybe? Any seconds? Uh, Buck! All right, Steve, we'll come back to you, maybe. We'll try that. Let's get to, uh, we got Kenny up in Boston. Our brother in Boston. Kenny, what's going on? Hi, Buck. What's up? I got a movie quote that may be pertinent here. Uh, something last week you said kind of disappointed me. You said something about old movies stink or something to that. I think I said, hold, hold, hold up, hold up, hold your horses, Kenny. I said black and white movies are overrated, and I stand behind that. <laughs> Just so you know, John is literally pulling out the gong on me right now. I have a quote from a black and white movie, and I will tell you the year of it. I'll give you a hint, 1957. It's a action movie. It's a war movie. I consider all war movies to be action movies. It's a quote within a quote. So uh, 
our protagonist is quoting an English writer named Samuel Johnson. And our protagonist says, well, Samuel Johnson said, patriotism is the last refuge of a scoundrel. And you know the movie. Uh... You got me. What is it? It's a movie called Paths of Glory. It's by Stanley Kubrick, a fantastic director. And the protagonist was uh, Kirk Douglas speaking that. I highly recommend it. It's a World War I movie. And there are very few World War I action movies. This movie is, is great. I, I think you should give it a, a look one time. And I think you will like this. And it's very realistic. It has very realistic uh, um, war scenes, you know, okay. battle scenes. Paths of Glory. I will check it out. Thank you very much, Kenny, for calling in. Shields, hi to you, buddy. Uh, you know, I, I've got a whole list of, uh, maybe I'll, I'll go back and I'll try some more black and white movies just to, so I can really put some meat on the bones of my criticism here. You know, if I'm going to be a contrary, the thing about being a contrarian is you, you got to come prepared for battle. And I know that people think that black and white movies are good. It's like whenever I tell everybody that Bruce Springsteen is super overrated. I'm, it's accurate. Right, exactly. It's just accurate. But the Springsteen, I know we've had some New Jersey people calling in, the Springsteen fans come after you like the Beyonce Mafia comes after you. Like, you are just at their mercy. So you better be ready to be like, oh, yeah? Why is it that he only has two songs you can name off the top of your head? You know, you just... I have to deep breath on this one. Don't even get me started on Bob Dylan. Oh, he's the wordsmith of his generation. Please. Dylan sings about as well as as Gurgling Gurgan speaks. Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, sing a song for Nixon. All right, we're going to roll in a quick break. We'll be right back. We don't have any personnel changes at this time, but the president shouldn't be bound because Democrats in the Senate can't do their job. If the president wants to be able to make a change because he feels like it's the right thing for the American people, his hand shouldn't be tied because Democrats failed to do what they were elected to do. This president was elected to put forward policies and push those policies forward with the team that he selects, not the team that the Democrats think he should have. That's not how the system works. And just because they don't want the president to have his full team, that doesn't mean if he decided to make changes he shouldn't be able to. At this rate, the United States Senate would take 11 and a half years to confirm our nominees. 11 and a half years to confirm our nominees. In the first entire term of the George H.W. Bush administration, his entire four years, he faced one cloture vote. In the entire four years of the Clinton administration, he faced 10 cloture votes. Under the George W. Bush administration, the entire first term, he faced four cloture votes. Barack Obama faced 17 in his first entire four years. We have faced 79 in our first 14 months. This is very important, folks. In those two sound bites, you are getting a sense of how the Democrats are, are stocking the pond and pulling fish out of it, if you will. They are... On the one hand, saying there's chaos, there's all these unfilled slots, all these news stories, Washington Post, CNN, New York Times. Oh, my gosh, we don't have enough bureaucrats. What's going to happen to us? Muffy, get the crumpets. And then you find out that they won't let the administration fill a lot of those slots. The numbers don't lie. Cloture votes are what is 
it's it's the term used in the Senate for essentially shutting it down so there's no vote. Right. That's that's what they do. It prevents there from being a vote on the nominees. Uh, and they're just they're in the minority, but they're shutting it down time and again. So on the, so you, you actually have Democrats complaining about how there aren't enough Trump administration staffings that are getting filled or staffers that are being pulled in for these roles while the Senate Democrats with Chuck Schumer leading them are doing every literally everything in their power. Not like theoretically, they're actually are doing everything that they can to stop nominees from getting through. So they're they're on they're on both sides of the transaction here. You know? They're they're they're, they're lighting they're they're taking matches and throwing them into the house and then running on the street saying, "Oh my gosh, there's no fire department here." It's like, "Well, well, maybe stop lighting the house on fire." That would be a better that would be a better way to go. But the the storyline about personnel and about uh, the White House. Look, I, I've seen the stories too. McMaster, the national security advisor, may not be long for this administration, but you know what? He's a four-star general. He's got a very distinguished career. He's a very well-regarded guy. He's going to be fine. You know, he's, he's served for a year. Maybe he'll move on to something else. Shulkin at uh, the Veterans Affairs, I think he might want to uh, keep a cardboard box handy in his office. I think, right? Likely. And uh, who's the other? No, I don't think Kelly's going. I don't buy that. I, I see that reporting. No way. Trump likes Kelly. Kelly's, Kelly and Trump, I don't, I don't see that. I, people are saying it, but nope. There may be some people inside the White House that would like to see Kelly go. I won't speculate on that, but I'm sure you could probably take some guesses. Maybe some people that are not, in, uh, not thrilled with Kelly right now. But that doesn't mean Trump's going to say uh, goodbye to him. So I, I doubt that. But speaking of departures, this has been reported all over the place. I actually say I, I'm telling you this story out of some sympathy. So this is multiple sources confirming that Rex Tillerson. And I'm only I'm not telling you this to be gross, but it's you're going to probably see it. It's getting a lot of play right now on social media. Rex Tillerson was fired uh, while he was. In the loo. That's how he found out. He was in the privy. And the reason he was, and, and he was told by Kelly, the White House chief of staff, while he was in the loo, I saw this headline and I thought, well, that's, this is just weird on so many levels. Tillerson had picked up a stomach bug on his Africa trip. And so he was in rough shape. And I just say this because I have, I have been in that same spot, stomach bug in Africa. Let me tell you, things you never want to have to tell anybody that, you know, you never want to have to say the words, I've got a stomach bug. While I'm in Africa, uh, and and he got really sick, so I feel badly for him. And it just makes me, it just reminds me that uh, you can think you are tough, you can think you are cool, but if you get hit with the wrong kind of, you eat some undercooked meat in a third world country, my friends, you you have a new sense of humility. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't care who you are. I you find me the 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 toughest dude. You find me the world's strongest man. And he eats some uh, some bad kebab in a you know eats some bad kebab in Afghanistan. Ooh, it's all over. He's gonna have a rough couple of days. So I feel badly for Tillerson. Everyone's reporting on the story because you know they're all laughing about how he was on the, you know, on the porcelain throne while uh, while he was dethroned. But it was because he was dealing with some food poisoning in Africa, which is I've I've been there. It's rough rough stuff. So anyway. 
you see that story now you at least know what's going on because the headlines are all like fired while on the pot there you go it's not not the way that most secretaries of state would want to go out but also i would note that the reporters a little bit of glee and oh yeah this is you know the the ignominious ending to rex tillerson's tenure as secretary of state but hey look happens to the best of us right happened to me president has also shown that he's been extremely tough on Russia uh, throughout his administration. And I think uh, particularly you saw that today in the Russia sanctions that were put forward. And I think you can see what the administration's viewpoint is simply by looking at the actions that we took today by placing new sanctions on Russia. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. There you had uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders talking about the actions the White House taken against Russia which is scaring everyone so much. It's like we're entering some new phase of a Cold War. People are so deeply concerned about where all this is heading. And Oh, yeah, there you go. Something particularly about the all-male all Russian coral group is like, you know, you can just see a submarine with a big hammer and sickle on it getting ready to bring the world to the brink of annihilation. So... I still think that's also the best Tom Clancy movie, uh, Tom Clancy book made into a movie, Hunt for Red October. So the Trump administration has come out with some uh, new actions against Russia in the last couple of days, uh, more sanctions. They've put the 13 Russians indicted by Mueller's probe, actually, on the sanctions list. So that's pretty, you know, that, that, that's a gimme. I don't think that's a hard one to pull off. But also Russia has accused, I'm sorry, the Trump administration has accused Russia of a campaign of cyber attacks targeting the U.S. power grid. Uh, This is from NPR's website, but the news here is pretty straightforward. They're reporting similar across platforms, so just bear with me. This is NPR. Quote, since at least March 2016, Russian hackers attempted to infiltrate numerous sectors of American infrastructure, including energy, nuclear, commercial facilities, water aviation, and manufacturing according to a Department of Homeland Security report published on Thursday. The announcement came as the White House imposed sanctions against 19 Russians and five entities for allegedly interfering in the 2016 U.S. presidential election and other cyber attacks. Let me state that this is not new. Russia probing our cyber defenses, trying to find ways in. This is the new surveillance for future warfare. This is what we can expect to be happening with any adversary going forward. They want to map out our electronic networks of all kinds, and if possible, not just know where things are and know what we have, but also shut it down when the time comes. Think about it. If you had, and this is where some of you I know are probably yelling about EMPs as well, but Given the way that we fight wars today, if you were able to shut off an adversary's electric grid, even for a couple of hours, what kind of advantage that would give you, right? Think about what that would mean. The panic that you'd set off. People would say, oh, Bach, but the military has you know redundant power sources. And all. all right, but think about what would happen in the civilian areas while that was going on. And any military strike that would be conducted with even a partial 
power outage or a partial blackout would just seem magnified in the mind of those that had, you know, those that were in the dark, basically, right, and the rest of the country as well. And the Russians have been working on this for a while. They've been they've been experimenting and probing for some for some time. So people are going to obviously look at this and be concerned as they should be. But let's not blow this out of proportion. The problem comes, in a sense, with understanding what proportion really is. I think that's fair to say. How do you respond to Russia poking around in our power grid? What is a real what what is a realistic and fair response to that? We've we're trying diplomatic stuff. We've tried sanctions. We're putting additional sanctions on them. See, Russia can't be blocked off from the world. Russia can't be contained. Look at what's going on even with North Korea, where you have a vast majority of the world's states that matter. That's probably a very un-PC thing to say, but on the global stage, only certain countries really really make a difference on security policy. I know we're all unique snowflakes and we're all equal in God's eyes, but I'm talking about countries and power politics here. Uh, the North Koreans are able to get around sanctions and they can't even be effectively cut off from global markets, from cyber activity. You know, containment is never perfect and containment is... Even harder with a country the size of Russia and the importance of Russia. And you've got Putin is about to coast to a fourth, I believe, victory as president. So he's who we're going to be dealing with for the foreseeable future. That's why as we look at these different pokes and prods that we are getting from the Russians, we need to understand that everything we do has to take into account that there will be follow-on actions from the Russians and that they have their own ways of making things uh, more difficult for us. If people are talking about how this is a second Cold War, I think that's overblown. Although I did read a book some years ago about the, the, new, the new Cold War was the title of the book. It's different now. Uh, the Russians aren't waging some campaign for international communism as they were when they were the Soviet Union. But they do seek to regain some sense of uh, lost glory. I always remember the words of a Polish friend of mine that have stuck with me, that nothing brings Russians together like suffering. It has been a, a phrase that provided necessary context and wisdom for a lot of what I see going on with Putin's regime. We see all this aggressiveness from the Novichok poisoning in the United Kingdom to what the Russians have done in Syria. They didn't even really blink an eye when 200 Russians reportedly, up to 200 Russians were killed fighting as paramilitaries alongside Syria's Assad regime. So, but we, we see this reporting, we think to ourselves, Russia is such a, becoming such a pariah in the international community and you know the, at the United Nations and other places, it's so uh, out of what is the... What are expectations for great powers and all this, all those things you can throw in there. Meanwhile, Putin's actually got a lot of support inside the Russian, uh, inside the Russian population, among the Russian population. And much of what we see as necessary responses to his aggressiveness plays out in Russia like we are all ganging up on them, trying to prevent them from establishing their own spheres of influence. And you know, this is where you start to get into the 
the tribalism that does exist among nation states, right? The sense that people have an allegiance to country and the Russian people feel like in the post-Soviet era, they've gotten a raw deal. And they want somebody who pushes back, punches back, fights back for them. And many of them think that that is Putin. There was a profile done a while ago. I can't remember which magazine it was in, but it was of what essentially what Putin's day to day is like. And he starts off reading the working man's newspaper in Russia. You know, he start, and I don't mean like the Workers Party communist apparatchik newspaper. I mean, like what, you know, the equivalent. I'm going to I was going to name some papers here, but I don't want to. You know, but the, the equivalent here of a, of a tabloid daily that, you know, folks would read quickly on the subway on their way to work. That's what he starts with for Russians in Russian. Right. That's what he wants to know. What is the what is the everyday the, the working man in Russia think about things? What's on his mind? And a lot of the stuff that we see going on doesn't matter a bit. You know, the stuff that's happened really in Syria and nope, that's if anything, that's just. Russia upholding its obligations to its friends and allies and partners, right? That's the way that it is viewed inside the country at some level. Yeah, they hide dead bodies from the people of Russia. They don't want them to know how deep the entanglements are. And there's a lot of propaganda going on with all this. But we need to understand what we're really dealing with here on the other side of the table. This is not a country that is waiting to have a uh, this is not a country that is just waiting any day now for things to get much more Americanized and everything to just be great. Uh, There's a certain pride and sense of being under siege that unites the Russian people. Like I said, nothing brings them together like suffering. And they feel like the international community is being unfair to them right now. They're being victimized by it. This is certainly the narrative that Putin is. I mean, look, this is all what I'm telling you is kind of the out of the RT propaganda playbook. I'm not saying this is true. I'm just saying this is what is disseminated from the Kremlin on down and is believed pretty widely in in Russia. And so it's with that that you have to now look at us with our media talking about all these uh, election hackings and uh, these sanctions and the American media's anti-Russia obsession, which has been so inflamed because of their anti-Trump obsession, makes it look like we are a little hysterical over there. So there's a sense that we've lost a little bit of credibility, I think, with the Russian population, or at least with some segment of it, that we are always looking for some reason to be upset at Russia, sometimes very much justified, as in the case of the Novichok uh, neurochemical poisoning that occurred. But in other stuff, with all the different news reports, I mean, you see so much more of Vladimir Putin on CNN, his name is said with so much greater frequency than you'll see the photo of or hear the name of Xi Jinping, the dictator of China now, folks. President for life. Okay, no more George Orwell's Animal Farm. A lot of words banned from the Chinese Internet now because they don't want people to be describing accurately what Xi Jinping has become. That's a country with a billion people, second largest economy in the world, and has big plans for its future, plans that are going to conflict with ours at some point. But the American media is much more concerned with making making it seem like Russia is lurking in every, or Putin is lurking in every corner, and the Russians are trying to uh, drag us into some kind of a Cold War 2.0, or maybe even 3.0 now, this, this new phase. The Trump administration, meanwhile, which has gotten so much heat 
gotten so much pushback for not doing enough on Russia, has done a lot on Russia in the last few weeks and really over the course of the administration. I've mentioned to you the provision of Javelin anti-tank missiles to the Ukrainian National Army to fight against Russian-backed and Russian, just Russian, uh, separatists in eastern Ukraine. There's also now sanctions that have been expanded upon against Russian entities and individuals because of uh, some of what they have, some of what they've done. It depends if we're talking about election meddling stuff or now uh, the cyber attacks. But it's going to be it's going to be tricky going forward because everything that we do, the Russians have their own ways of responding to it. And ultimately, the sanctions that were put in place, and I'll just say it, it's not going to do it, friends. Sanctioning a few entities, it's a big country. All right. I think uh, what's the population in Russia off the top of my head? 120 million. How many people live in Russia? I don't even know. Producer Mike, let me know. Usually I know populations pretty I'm pretty good with them, but I think Russia is like 120 million, I'm guessing. Um, it's interesting to familiarize yourself with country populations. Then you have a, is that, what? what is it? You say under uh, 70 million. Oh, under 70. See, it's huge, but actually, no, I was going to say 100, 120 million. No, all right, under 70. So I was a little off. I think Thailand has 70 million. There's some countries that are surprising. Pakistan has 120 million. Nigeria has 140 million, more like 150 or 160 probably now, actually. There's some countries you'd be like, whoa, they've got a lot of people. Um, anyway, back to Russia. Uh, we got to watch ourselves here because the media is really agitating for a very aggressive response. Like the Trump administration has been responsible in how they have reacted to these provocations. Uh, but let's let's keep our eye, you know our eye on the prize here, which is we just want things to be the best they possibly can be for America, for our people. Uh, we don't want to be brought into any foreign wars or conflicts, uh, period, full stop. I and mean, we really want to try to avoid it. And we got to have much greater concern about what the future looks like with China than Russia. Russia, we have there's enough cultural middle ground with us and just give it some time. It's still very early. The Soviet Union wasn't that long ago. I think we're actually moving right. Maybe not right now, but in general, if you look at the last 40 years or so, we're moving in the right direction. China, I think we're actually uh, seeing things is going to get going to get rough, going to get tough. I am uh, bearish on the future of what U.S.-China relations are going to look like going forward. Uh, by the way, we got uh, Sean Davis joining us to talk about this huge story about these struck page texts that uh, reveal a personal relationship between a uh, between struck and a judge, a judge who had to recuse himself from the case of General Michael Flynn. Sean is going to be joining us here on the show in just a few minutes, he and Molly Hemingway broke that story on thefederalist.com, and now it is all over the place, except on CNN. Uh, what a surprise. They're not covering it. Oh, wow. What a shock. President's going to continue fighting for the American worker. He's also working with a number of individual countries uh, and negotiating on areas of national security where we can work together. Uh, and there's some flexibility there, and we're continuing to have those conversations, and will continue uh, through the next part of the end of next week, which is when I believe the deadline happens. You know, everyone got all freaked out about the tariff situation, and I saw my conservative friends uh, in the media, including a lot of 
lot of those that uh, are are quite honestly brilliant, and uh, I really like their work and like those people, and they were just hammering Trump on the whole tariffs thing. And I've been trying to give you just the the full picture. I'm not saying that I think tariffs are great. I'm not saying I think tariffs are terrible. I'm saying, you know, okay, I understand why people are opposed to them, and I know what I, we, we've talked about the Econ 101 aspect of it. But I saw a very interesting piece from uh, Derek Scissors over at AEI. We might have him next week. Hopefully we reach out to Derek, where this was exactly the kind of thinking that I was trying to bring to this show, which is, all right, everyone, cool your jets. Calm down a little bit. All right. I'm not talking to you now. I'm saying this in like the general you sense, not to my beloved audience. But this whole notion that tariffs are going to like destroy the economy and a trade war and everything, the tariffs that we're talking about are very small. And on a very small part of the economy. That's the shortened version of this piece that Scissors wrote from AEI. Actually, I think he's very uh, smart. Scissors is very sharp on trade. <laughs> John just choked. <laughs> That's awesome. You you guys could see it, but John just like spat his coffee all over the place. It's great. Yeah, that's right. That was a wah-wah from Buck, but I got John with it. Happy Friday, John. Make sure you caffeinate. Um, so anyway, they will have scissors on. the. That's like the highlight of my day, by the way. I got John to spit out his coffee there with that one. <laughs> Earlier today, I had a wah-wah on Outnumbered on Fox News. They were like, what do you think of Lamb? And I was like, Lamb is a wolf in Republican clothing. And they were like, what? I'm like, yeah, that was a little stretched. That didn't really... I mean, it makes sense, but you got to think about it too long, and then you're kind of just like, eh. You know, wolf in sheep's clothing, lamb, Republican, lamb pretending to... You know, you, you get it. Yeah, I know you're like, Buck, move on. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. Uh, just a, a preview of what's coming, because we got a lot here. I, I know there's this big story about the text messages between Strzok... And page about a judge on the FISA court. So you got FBI DOJ talking about some weird stuff involving a FISA court judge involved with the Michael Flynn case. Oh, is this all a coincidence? I don't think so. We've got Sean Davis joining us in just a few minutes on that. We're also looking to see if McCabe actually does get fired, which I still think is going to happen, but it might happen. What if it just happened with a Trump tweet? What if he tweets out like right before he has a burger and goes to bed like McCabe, you fired. I, I mean, I think, uh, no, he technically can't do it, but, you know, it'd be funny if he did it anyway. You're uh, so You're we're fired. watching. You're fired. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> so we're watching, uh, see if that actually ends up happening. And then I've got uh, Emily Zanotti joining with just some fun uh, banter, because that's what we do with Ms. Zanotti when she's on. And uh, we'll be joined also by a fellow from the Washington Free Beacon later on, Mr. Sonny Bunch. Mr. Sonny Bunch. He'll be joining us to talk about uh, Netflix and TV, and then we'll have a phenomenal roll call with some bagpipes, laddie. So basically at this point, you realize how awesome the show is going to be till the end, so there's no reason for you to do anything except finish it out, and oh yeah, tell a friend about it. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Big scoop today on The Federalist. You know, it's one of our favorite sites. It is thefederalist.com. It's co-founded by Ben Dominich and Sean Davis. We have Sean Davis with us now, and he's going to talk to us about this, this, this major story. Here's the headline. 
Peter Strzok, you remember him, the FBI agent with the shady text messages, had personal relationship with recused judge in the Michael Flynn case. Sean, great to have you back with us. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Tell me a bit about, well, actually, no, walk us through, because there's some complexities here and there's a lot going on, but this is a big story you guys have on The Federalist. Tell us what's going on, how it might have really affected the Michael Flynn case. So uh, my colleague, Molly Hemingway, and I uh, obtained a bunch of text messages uh, between Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. These are the former FBI agents and attorneys who were extremely involved in both the Clinton case, uh, the, the dossier, Carter Page case, and as it turns out, maybe even the Flynn case. And what we saw in these text messages between them was the fact that uh, Peter Strzok apparently had a personal friendship with Judge Rudolph Contreras. Um, who he and Lisa Page referred to as Rudy, uh, to the point that they even schemed over texts about how they could get in contact and talk with him after he was appointed a FISA federal surveillance court judge, and how they could privately get together with him in ways that wouldn't trigger uh, a required recusal of him from various cases. At one point, they even suggested a cocktail party that they would invite him to where they could talk to him, and that would be much better than a one-on-one conversation. They even used the phrase, we have to have cover uh, for these meetings. So it's a, it's a pretty big blockbuster, especially since this judge is the one uh, who accepted Mike Flynn, former Trump National Security Advisor's guilty plea, and then was removed from the case just days after that. So there are all kinds of questions about whether that case was properly handled. Uh, you know, it was Peter Strzok, who was one of the agents who interviewed Flynn at the White House in, in January 2017. So this this blockbuster bombshell raises a whole bunch of questions about what was going on with that case. Sean, usually when, when one of these stories breaks, the, the first thought that goes through my mind is what they're going to say to try to you know counteract the momentum here, what they're going to say to explain this away, what the excuse will be. Based on, and, and we're, you know, we're talking to the guy, folks, Sean and Molly Hemingway over at the Federalist are the ones who have access to these text messages. Based on what's in those texts, can you even conjure up why an FBI agent would be saying to his uh, paramour, who's a DOJ lawyer, we need cover for a meeting? If it's just an innocent beer among government employees, why would anyone talk that way? Well, it, it's interesting. We ask ourselves the same questions. You know, what are the innocent explanations for this? But the thing that we found most disturbing, uh, in addition to the actual substance of the messages the two exchanged, was that the Department of Justice actually withheld this from Congress. Uh, In the records that they had provided to Congress of these text messages, uh, DOJ redacted every single mention and conversation about uh, this this FISA judge who ended up presiding over the Flynn case and was recused. So that right there communicates uh, what the fancy lawyers would call mens rea, uh, a guilty mind. And it, it, like I said earlier, it raises a whole bunch of questions. Why were they hiding that from Congress? If there, was, if there was no there there, then there would be no reason for them to hide it. And yet hide it, they did. Um, but because we were able to obtain these texts where those redactions were not included, we were able to get a full picture of what was going on there. And it doesn't look good when you have two FBI agents who have already been involved in, uh, you know, who knows how many shenanigans over there. When you have them conspiring to collude with this judge in secret, scheming ways to, to have cover, to have these conversations, it, it 
from my viewpoint, it all but screams that you have to have a special prosecutor here because this agency clearly cannot be trusted to police itself. We're speaking to Sean Davis. He's the co-founder of The Federalist. He is co-author of a piece that's up right now. It is the main story in The Federalist, and it is getting a lot of attention, as it should. Peter Strzok had personal relationship with recused judge in Michael Flynn case. Sean, at this point, you know, you, you mentioned the idea of a special prosecutor from the DOJ. I've got kind of a, t- a twofold statement slash question for you. One is that it feels to me like if there's ever a place where we need a special prosecutor, it would be to look at conduct within the DOJ that is highly shady, considering the DOJ is usually the additional layer of you know anti-corruption overwatch we have over the rest of the federal government, right? So to me, it seems like the special counsel is particularly needed here for this kind of situation. And then also... The Michael Flynn guilty plea is looking more and more like a Ted Stevens redux. Like this guy, I'm not sure how exactly it happened, but there's plenty of evidence pointing toward Flynn got sandbagged somehow here. Well, so it's fascinating that you bring up Ted Stevens because the judge who was assigned to this case after Contreras was removed from it is the same judge who took over the Stevens case. Wait, is it my home slice Emmett Sullivan? Yeah, Emmett. Oh, he's the man. I love Sullivan. Go ahead. Yeah, and Sullivan does not mess around. He did not mess around in the Stevens case where there was just massive prosecutorial misconduct, stuff that was never disclosed to the defense that should have been. And he has already issued a pretty remarkable order to Mueller's prosecution team that they had better turn over to him, the judge, all material exculpatory evidence that they have in their possession that they had at any time, including during their plea negotiations. And he notes in a footnote that a number of federal courts have held that withholding that information from a defendant, even uh, during a plea negotiation, you know, it hasn't gotten a trial, is a miscarriage of justice that would uh, uh, raise the Supreme Court's ire. So Sullivan isn't messing around. The, the whole thing with Flynn looks fishy, especially since Peter Strzok was apparently the one who, who wrote up the notes of the interview with Flynn. Um, you know, Flynn may be guilty. I, I don't know. Um, you know, he knows and the Lord knows. But what I care about is, a, is an actual fair process according to the Constitution playing out here. And I'm beginning to wonder if that was actually uh, given to him. I think it's also important for everyone to hear that the judge that we're talking about, that Peter Strzok was talking to his uh, paramour. I can't think of a better word. Lady he was having a, you know, a, a side thing going on with um, Lisa Page. Uh, Judge Rudolph Contreras was on the FISA court, and that comes across in there in the text messages between Page and Strzok. It's like, oh, wow, Rudy's on the FISA court now. Isn't that important slash interesting? Oh, it, it's fascinating, especially since it was that FISA court, which in October issued a uh, warrant to surveil Carter Page, an American citizen who hadn't been accused of any wrongdoing, to spy on him based largely on claims in a dossier, which no one has verified at this point, put together by a, uh, a foreign asset who was paid by the Hillary Clinton campaign. So, I mean, that whole thing stunk to high heaven already, and now you throw in the fact that these two FBI agents who are knee-deep in all this nonsense were also conspiring to collude with a judge on that court at the same time. I just don't know how you can, with a straight face, say that we don't need a special prosecutor to unwind all this and figure out what the heck was going on. Speaking about not with a straight face, I I spoke earlier today to a friend of mine who used to be uh, in the intelligence community, and and we had a little bit of back and forth because I was like, you know, this Carter Page situation, the guy, and I don't mean to put him down, 
but he seems so clownish, and there have been no charges against him, and he seems to me to be the the aggrieved and wronged party here, yet the entire Democrat justification for utilizing the most impressive, intrusive, and therefore frightening surveillance apparatus on the planet against a presidential campaign is Carter Page, who still to this day, I'm like, what were the, what did they find about Carter Page, Sean? To me, it just seems like we've gone beyond the realm of this is a serious, this is a serious position for them to hold, that somehow Carter Page justified all this stuff. No, it's crazy. Like, uh, Paul Manafort, fine, I get it. Rick Gates, I get it. But yet those aren't the guys they spied on. It was Carter Page, who I, I don't know the guy, I've never spoken to him. He, he seems kind of a loon, but he's totally up front with his policy views. He's like, yeah, I think the U.S. should change its policy in Russia. The speech he gave, which apparently uh, necessitated him being spied on, was at a venue in an event where Obama had spoken the year previously, and it was all public online. The idea that they had to spy on this guy to figure out what he thought or that he had somehow been offered a multi-billion dollar stake in a Russian energy company You'd have to be Looney Tunes to actually buy into that. And yet that's what our federal uh, surveillance apparatus ostensibly bought into. I also refuse to believe this this justification for all the things we're talking about that, well, there's more on page. We just don't know if at this stage of the game, with everything that has leaked, with everything that has been released officially as well, if there was something we'd say, oh, wow, Carter Page actually was into some stuff that really did warrant this kind of attention I am 100% sure we would know about that at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that, that whole uh, surveillance deep state, law enforcement deep state, they leak like a sieve. Yeah, and, and I think you're right. If, if there were anything to his background that they could have used to their advantage to defend their actions, we would have heard about it on CNN long ago. And just one more thing, uh, Sean, and everyone should go read this piece in The Federalist, and we'll link to it on, on BuckSexton.com. Uh, do you think we're going to get some answers here about Judge Contreras and his relationship with Strzok? Is there a process that you can see in place right now that may get us what we need here? I don't know. The, the judiciary, for very good reason, is generally kind of resistant to any sort of external pressure. Um, and especially in his recusal with Flynn, that wasn't related to his FISA duties, where you have these FISA courts set up explicitly uh, by Congress uh, to help them provide oversight. Um, I, I I'll be interested to see how the judiciary responds. I, I honestly doubt that they're going to respond much at all, but it calls into question the integrity of the court and the decision-making process they have there. Um, so I think for their own good and for their own benefit and for the integrity of their system, they should come forward and actually be honest about the reasons why he was refused. Um, whether that'll happen, I think, is anyone's guess. Real quick, Sean, St. Patrick's Day plans are what in the Davis household? Oh, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> okay, we'll take it. We'll take it, you know. I mean, if you're not dancing around dressed like a leprechaun, that's fine, Sean. We're not going to be doing that here either. But, you know, some people get very festive. Sean Davis, everybody. I, mean, I, I got a young family, man. We're not going to be doing anything festive. <laughs> Fair enough. You got to catch up on some sleep. Thefederalist.com exactly. is the site. Sean Davis, Molly Hemingway, they are the authors. Check it out. Sean, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you, Buck. Team, we're going to be rolling into uh, hour three coming up here in just a few minutes so that's where things are going to get spicy or saint patrick's day is going to be more of a theme i think because it is a freestyle stay with me we'll be right back
I knew this would happen, folks. I knew it was just a matter of time. As soon as you saw some of the dating apps, because now that's really, that's where the, the, the pulse of our culture is, the dating apps, right? That lets you know what's going on with the kids, with the cool people, you know? When I say the kids, I mean people in their 20s, because now I'm in my 30s, and it feels like, feels like it's just all passing me by now, dude. You know, my back hurts, my elbows hurt, everything hurts. 36, sore all over the place. I don't even do anything. You know, some people actually have an excuse. But anyway, the dating apps, they ban people from, as I said, a few of the dating apps, not all of them. And I'm sure there's like, you know, duckhuntersneedlove.com. I'm sure there's other dating sites where this is not a problem. But some of them, if you have any kind of a firearm, you are, you're banned, right? Or they, they shut down your account, whatever it is. They take disciplinary action with the exception of people who are law enforcement or military. Thankfully, they're not that dumb. But as I said, what about hunters? You know, people that want, hey, you know, I'd like to go, I'd like to go shoot some birds. Maybe my future lady love or future um, man love, if you're the lady that's look, or, or or any combination thereof, uh, want somebody that will go, you know, go duck hunting too, or go perhaps shoot some grouse with a twenty gauge if one has the aim and accuracy for such a thing. And sure enough, the anti-gun photo fervor has already spread to the point of absurdity. This is from NJ.com, NewJersey.com. What's up, Jersey in the house? I feel like you guys should know you're all welcome here for our St. Patrick's Day Festival in New York City because ours is way more awesome than anything in New Jersey. But we love you, New Jersey. We love you. You're like our cousin that we invite over on the holidays, and this is one of them. So come to New York and come party with us. Uh, All right, here's what NewJersey.com says, though. A New Jersey school district that allegedly suspended two high school students this week over a gun photo taken during a family visit to a private shooting range is facing community backlash and the threat of a lawsuit over district policies. The photo of four rifles, ammunition clips, and a gun duffel bag was shared by one of the students on the social media app Snapchat with the caption, fun day at the range a screen capture of the image made the rounds among other students and later brought to the attention of Lacey township high school officials students received a five-day in-school suspension for violating the school's policy on weapons possession you know i have adorable photos of me when i'm like 12 years old with my brothers and my dad and we're out at the range, I think, actually, in that photo, I think we might have been, gosh, I, I think it was uh, I think it was in Idaho. But we're out at a range, and, you know, we're firing a .22. We're not maniacs. You know, we, don't have, we don't have 12-year-olds firing bazookas or something, you know. It's, but we've got a .22. It's a little bolt action. What's the big deal? You know, it's a nice time spent with the family, as all of you know. But these policies now have become bonkers because everyone has allowed themselves to get so emotionally wrapped up in this moment they're forgetting that one there's about 60 million gun owners in the country who are perfectly law-abiding patriotic not only are they okay as neighbors you want them as your neighbors they make the neighborhood safer and they make the country in the event of tyranny freer i know that liberals snicker at that but it's just true uh that's Something that we need to remind the country of, I think, right now, because when you get kids that are getting suspended for being at the range with parental supervision, there's no way that the, the teachers didn't know that that's what's going on. But the 
sure enough, the policy's in place, and now people are getting getting in trouble because they went to a range. You have a school district policy now, and this is, I'm sure, not just in New Jersey. You have a school district policy that is punishing kids for completely legal, legitimate, and you would even say family bonding behavior. You know, what's next? You know, are are they going to start suspending kids that go horseback riding because it's Horse slavery and PETA's going to get upset? I mean, this is just out of control. I knew this would happen. Uh, so the school district's going to get sued, and it should get sued. It needs to get rid of this policy. There needs to be some sanity here. Yeah, okay, you don't want kids that are posting threats or threatening photos, but a day at the range with your, with your siblings and your parents, that's not threatening. That's like America. New Jersey, get with it. We'll be right back. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Well, the fun is about to come to a dead end. Who is the competition? Our next KGB guy. Tough mother. Got a limp on his right leg. Named Sukovsky. Valentin Dmitrovich Sukovsky? Yeah. You know him? I gave him a limp. Hey, father. I lost him. If I risk my neck for you... When I get a chance to kill Englishmen. Is your father a ghost? Or do you converse with the Almighty? In order to find his equal, an Irishman is forced to talk to God. Yes, Father. If you think I'm fancy and you want my body, all you got to do is come. If you want my body, <laughs> Welcome to Hour 3 of the Buck Saxon Show, everybody. That was our little St. Patrick's Day montage for all of you. Now, something I was thinking about today, we were trying to pull some things together. And by the way, extra points if any of you could figure out what all three of those movies were. All three are, well, no, two are playing, two are Irish actors. Um, one is a, oh no, I'm not even getting this right, actually. Well, there are two that are supposed to be Irish in the movie, and the third is obviously Scottish. And then you have, uh, whatever, you get the idea. The point is, I was thinking about the best action movie quotes and the best uh, stuff you could pull from Irish-specific movies, and there's so much more in our pop culture that's uh, Scottish-based than Irish. It's really interesting. And you look at movies and, you know, Obviously, uh, all the all the Mike Myers stuff is from uh, Austin Powers is Scottish. And then you also have Braveheart, Scottish, although there's an Irishman in it, which I just gave away. I'm giving away all the clips now. Um, you, you look through this, and the most famous Irish action actors, in at least from what I know, are, you got to say, Pierce Brosnan, even though he's playing a Brit when he plays James Bond. And then uh, Liam Neeson, who's also Irish, by the way. That's it. People would say Colin Farrell, and I'm just like, Colin Farrell ruins movies, actually. That's his job. His job is to be in a movie and ruin it. And keep being in movies and keep ruining them over and over again. And keep getting big movie roles and, you know, dating supermodels and the whole thing and ruining the movies. 
You know, I'm, I'm okay with the guy who's actually good at his job, enjoying all the, the fruits of his labor, um, but actually don't stink. And he's in movie after movie where he is the worst. So we pulled a little bit of a St. Patrick's Day montage there for you. But I really try to think about it. What, who is the great Irish hero in American pop culture? And if you're thinking about great characters that are actually Irish and not British or Scottish, so there's room there somewhere. You know, you don't have a, you don't have as much. So many different Scottish characters in our even in the Wonder Woman movie, for example, in Wonder Woman, the sniper guy, yeah, I'm Scottish, you know, the whole thing. Right. He's not Irish. You don't have as many Irishmen. I don't know what's going on with that. All right. So I hope you're enjoying your uh, St. Patrick's Day weekend as it's getting started, folks. We've got quite a third hour here. We're going to be joined by uh, Sonny Bunch from the Washington free beacon he just is talking about netflix and all the different shows you can watch you know i love that topic look it's the third hour it's a friday we gotta we gotta ease into the weekend a bit we also have emily zanotti joining us in just a few minutes and she's going to be talking to you all about what the uh some of the stories that either well some of them are ones you've missed and then also There'll be certainly uh, one story that we have an update on from her, but she'll and she'll share with us because we'll ask her what her St. Patrick's Day plans are. You know, I, th- I feel like people say don't say St. Patty's Day, and I want to say I understand why paddy wagon is offensive, but I feel like Irish people, at least Irish Americans, I can't speak for Irish people. The Irish are actually kind of a bunch of left wing socialists. I know people don't like the it's. You go, you go to our, my friends. I had a buddy who was, you know, studying in Ireland for years, and he's like, uh, "It's not like Irish Americans. You get a certain, you know, yeah. I mean, we got Quinn sitting in here, also known as Mike, producer Mike. John is not Irish, but uh, I'm half, and you know what I'm talking about. It's a very different deal when you have actual Irish people. They're like, yeah, I love, I love Cuba. You're like, whoa, yeah. Dude, I, I recently met a fellow Quinlan, um, friend of a friend." Who is exactly what you just described? Yeah, and yeah, we, we're not related. Um, and there's a bit of anti-Americanism and, too, you know. They don't really like America. You're like, whoa, what's up with that? You know, Irish American people are all like, yeah, bro, fighting Irish, Notre Dame, drinking beer, loving each other, America, but of Irish descent. You go over to Ireland, they're just like, stop appropriating our culture. You know what I mean? It's really not what you. It's not what people think it is. No, you're right on point. It's yeah. exactly the way it is. Yeah. So you know, this is this is you know, you, you live and learn, folks. You live and learn. This is like when I spent a summer in Greece, and I thought I'd be like, oh, hey, Faristo, Paracalo, like Uzo and dancing, and I mean, there was plenty of that. But there's also a lot of like America ruined our country with that coup back in the day or whatever, and they still protest about it. I'm like, guys, get it together. Why don't you pay some taxes? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's, you know, fortunately, I don't think, I think Team Buck Greek American is a strong force. I don't think Team Buck Greece is that strong. So I think we're okay there. Because a lot of the Greeks that are like, hey, I want to make a lot of money and be successful and, you know, better future for my children, they're like, we're going to leave this Peloponnese where uh, no one really pays taxes. Um, so, there's, so there's that. But a lot of anti American graffiti in Greece. So I've got a random story for you to throw in the mix here before we get our friend uh, Emily Zanotti on. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but there's a sheriff who is, I believe he's, yeah, based out of, oh no, Alabama. I was going to say Georgia. Whew. Don't worry, Georgia, you're good. Alabama, this is on you. Sheriff defends self after public outrage over $740,000 beach house pocketing money from inmate food fund. you got to love this, dude. This guy 
figured out he's the uh, I don't know how to say this Etowa or Etowa I don't know E T O W A H but the let's say Etowa Etowa County Sheriff Todd Entrican is like the law says that whatever money that is not used to feed inmates can be used for the sheriff's purposes. So he took that to be, you know, I feel like a lot of people would think, yeah, you know, ballistic inserts for vests and like additional canine units and, you know, things like that. You know, a a police memorial fund. That's where you think the money would go. No, he bought a almost million dollar beach house. Three quarters of a million dollars. I bought it. And what I love about this guy, you almost have to respect the hustle and just the shamelessness. He's like, yeah, that's what the law says. I'm not, I'm not apologizing for it. This guy's got real estate assets. He makes $90,000 a year. It's public record. He's got real estate assets in the, uh, in the millions. He owns $1.7 million of real estate. And when asked about this, in, including uh, multiple homes... And he was like, yeah, that's right, son. That's what the law says. And what? He's not back. Usually public officials, when they have something like this happen, they're kind of like, uh, like maybe we should, like, I will make restitution. or No, no, no. This guy's like, that's what the law says. You chumps didn't change the law, so Papa needs a new beach house. And that's it. So, you know, usually I see these stories of public officials engaging in corruption or graft or whatever, and I'm like, oh, how dare you, sir? And this one, I'm kind of like, wow. This guy's a straight-up hustler. He's like, that's what the law says. I want a beach house. I want to sit out there drinking uh, homemade caipirinhas and being fancy. It's an Alabama sheriff. This guy's this guy's got some good taste. He's got almost some, you know, three-quarters of a million-dollar beach house. That sounds pretty nice. But it just goes to show you, folks, y'all, y'all got you, I almost went into a y'all there by accident. Appropriate. So much appropriate. I'm Irish appropriating, Southern appropriating, you know. Gosh. And if I start doing an accent, people will be like, you're such a fake. You're from Manhattan. They don't have accents. So I, I can't appropriate anything right now. Anyway, this sheriff, it's obviously bad what he did. He probably is taking food out of the mouths of prisoners at some level or making a crappier food. But apparently he legally can do it, which is pretty amazing. All right, we got more. Stay with me. Everybody, it's been quite a week in the news cycle, and there's some stories that we want to follow up on or that we haven't even gotten a chance to talk to you about yet. And for that, we are joined by our friend Emily Zanotti. She is a senior editor at DailyWire.com. You can follow her on the Twitter at E.M. Zanotti. Mrs. Zanotti, buonasera. Hello. Hey, what's up? <laughs> Not much. How's it going? It's good. It's good. So, uh, so happy Friday, happy St. Patrick's Day. You're in Chicago, right? I am. This is like our national. This is our big day. So, I've got to tell you something. Savannah, Georgia, was talking a little smack when I was down there about a week ago. They claim to have the second biggest St. Patrick's Day celebration in the country. And I don't even have the heart to ask, is it after Chicago or after New York? Because if it's after New York, which I'm assuming it is, it means they think they're beating out the Windy City. I'm going to have to go live. Yeah, I, I will venture downtown to to show Savannah, Georgia, how much of a disaster Chicago is. I mean, the river literally day. gets turned green, right? Right. That's the first order of business. Tomorrow at 830 in the morning, they 
pour some stuff in the river that turns it green, and then we have an endless parade, and then everyone goes up to Wrigley Field and just gets drunk for the rest of the night. Is there is there Irish? I should probably know this, considering I'm roughly half Irish in terms of background. Is there Irish cuisine? Um, well, I guess. What? What? Are you, we got producer Mike looking at me saying yes. What's Irish cuisine, dude? What do Oily? you got? Now, Emily, do you know of any Irish cuisine? Yeah, I mean, I've had Irish breakfast, which is like sausage and eggs and corned beef and cabbage, obviously. Oh, yeah, that's right. Corned beef. All right. That's their that's their contribution <laughs> to the culinary world. Cuisine, we'll take it. Though? All right. All right. Well, uh, let's get into uh, the late. OK. Oh, this story broke my heart this week. The dog on the plane. Yeah. What's the latest on this? I saw somebody. See, I said. Right when it broke that the, that the airline, is it attendant or, st- we don't say stewardess anymore, right? It's a flight attendant. Yep. Attendant, yes, thank you. The flight mm-hmm. attendant, I was going to say airline attendant, the flight attendant uh, said she, or rather we were told by reporting that she knew it was a dog put up there anyway. To me, that could right. be an animal cruelty case. Do we have any updates on this? We don't, other than United has now apologized and the actual owners of the dog have spoken out saying that they told the stewardess or the flight attendant that it was definitely a dog. You could hear the dog, that when they put the dog into the overhead compartment, that the dog barked for about an hour straight. So it seems strange to me that now United is coming back and saying this was all a tragic accident and our flight attendant had no idea there was a dog in the bag. She just saw a, do- a bag that didn't fit under the seat. It's it's a bizarre story, and it keeps getting weirder because it sounds like this dog really wanted out, and nobody on the plane seemed to say anything. Yeah, I'm really somebody who strange thing. You know, any any cruelty to dogs, and I just want I just want to mm-hmm. fight someone. I get very very angry about it. And when I'm told that there's, or when I'm reading that there was a dog that was making noise to get out of there, I feel like yeah. the stewardess. I'm sorry, I didn't actually mean to do that. I feel like the airline attendant. Must have known and figured, well, he's got enough air up there. Who cares? Which is terrible. Which is awful. Yeah, which is awful. And It is a airless compartment. It is not served by the plane's material. So you just you can't breathe if you're locked into a compartment that's typically meant for baggage. Those dogs are you pay to put your dog or cat in their soft carrier under the seat in front of you. So it's kind of shocking that an airline attendant that would know these rules and know that United has ask people to pay that extra $125 to bring your pet on board would still manage to do this. It's, it's scary. But United actually has a horrible track record when it comes to animals. Since this time last year, something like 24 animals have died on board planes, and 18 of those animals have been on United. So if you have a dog or cat, you may want to think about flying United before you fly United. Come fly the Soviet Union. Fly United. That's the way. That's what they should call it. Something like that. You know, it's it's the worst. I, I really the cannot say enough. Guys. I'm trashy United left and right. And you know what? They deserve it. All right. But let's move on to one more. Uh, actually, we got a couple more here. We have the snake whisperer is no more. Yeah. Emily, tell us what happened. Really sad. So apparently in Malaysia, there are so many snakes, so many king cobras, which are the world's most deadly snake. So many of these that they have snake whispers attached to fire departments so that when you find a king cobra in your backyard, you actually have to call this person. I obviously am never moving to Malaysia. I don't know if there was any reason to move to Malaysia, but that is not happening now. This guy was 
phoned in to take care of a snake, got bit. He is the world's foremost snake handler. He was even on Malaysia's Got Talent or America's Got Talent, one of those, to showcase his snake handling. And he got bit, and sadly, he passed away yesterday. He was the world's foremost snake charmer. I feel like this reminds me a little bit of the uh, the guy with the Australian, what's his name? Steve, uh, you know. Oh, yes. What was uh, his the name? crocodile hunter. The crocodile. That's right. Irwin. The crocodile hunter. And then He's he finally got way. taken out by a stingray. It's like if you're around very dangerous animals enough, I don't care how much expertise you have. They are animals. You will sneeze and get bitten. I mean, something will happen. Yes. And the funny thing about Steve Irwin was that he actually died swimming with animals that are not particularly dangerous. Like stingrays are dangerous, but it's very rare to get hit by one like that. And he just pressed his luck one too many yeah, times. Yeah, and it hit him so in this guy was the same thing in the aorta, which was also highly <laughs> unlucky as these things go. Um, okay, so on to something else. Uh, a, a you got a lot of coverage of adult film stars, as they are sometimes referred to, or on CNN constantly now porn stars. That's the way they always refer to them. Uh, an adult film star was. Ordering a pizza from Domino's, and then things got weird. Well, I mean, I guess it got weird for real life, but it sort of sounds like what would happen in one of her movies. I don't know. I've never seen one. I just, I, you know, I've heard things. So the delivery driver gave her her pizza, then a couple hours later decided to text her and offered her $200 to perform for him. She, he stole her information off of one of the pizza box ordering forms kept her receipt and then texted her later on like it was no big deal and can we just tell everybody at home listening to this emily as they're getting ready for their friday evenings or or already off on their weekends what was the single greatest part of the whole story that domino's was involved in here domino's offered for her trouble to give her a free order of cinnamon sticks (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, was, so this woman the deal. This woman claimed she was literally propositioned for money by the delivery guy, right. and when she called yeah. to complain, the manager offered her an order of cinnamon sticks, folks. So right. customer customer so service. If you are propositioned, yeah, if you are propositioned by your Domino's delivery driver to have sex for money, the best you're going to do from Domino's is a free dessert. Before we let you go off onto your weekend, Emily, we're assuming you're going to have a more fun answer to this question than our last guest, Sean Davis, whom we love from The Federalist, who basically was like, uh, partying, St. Patrick's, get out of here. I've got things to write. Uh, what are you doing? What is the Zanati household up to for St. Patrick's Day? You know, we're in Chicago. We have no choice. We're going to have to go get some green beer at some point. I, I, I get caught up in the middle of it. I have red hair. So, obviously, this is my holiday, regardless of whether I'm at all Irish, according to 23andMe. So, I'm definitely going to get some green beer. Be careful, because, you know, people that have Kiss Me, I'm Irish buttons on, that's a microaggression. And cultural appropriation. It is cultural. I'm going to have to carry my DNA results with me so that I'm not accused of cultural appropriation. Yeah, you're better than Elizabeth Warren, but we already knew that. (laughs) Emily Zanotti, everybody. Great to have her from The Daily Wire. Emily, have a fantastic weekend and enjoy your St. Patrick's Day. You too. All right, team, we're going to roll into a break. We've got so much more this hour. Stay with us, and we'll be right back. He's holding the line. 
for America. Buck Sexton is back. Welcome back, team. Hour three of the Buck Sexton Show in effect here. I often say to you all that I'm going to spend my weekend watching Netflix or Netflix and Amazon and perhaps HBO because that is what I do because I am not as fun and interesting as I should probably be. Nonetheless, Ms. Molly still likes me and there's still things to discuss for those of us who watch a lot of television. Are we, in fact, in a golden age of TV? We've got somebody who's got expertise on this in that he has written a major piece for the Weekly Standard on it. Sonny Bunch joins us now. He is the executive editor of the Washington Free Beacon. He's got a piece, though, in the Weekly Standard, Overload. Will any shows from the golden age of TV endure? Sonny, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, so I often say this. I feel like the state of cinema right now is borderline crap, but the state of TV shows is so incredible that it's like all over the place. You can't even keep up with it. What say you, sir? Well, this is the problem, right, is that you can't actually keep up with it. There's so much good TV out there. You know, one of the, one of the headlines I proposed for this piece was 57,000 channels and everything on, right? Uh, a play on the old Bruce Springsteen song, 57 channels and nothing on. Like, the idea here is uh, we have so much good to great TV, mostly good. There's a lot of kind of mediocre middle that we can, we can discuss the difference between the great and the good later. But, the, you know, the, the idea here is there's just so much to watch that what, what's going to end up lasting, right? TV, TV, is a, TV and all art, really, is a... Is a it, it, the, what lasts is what you can read over and over again, what you can share with other people over and over again, movies that you can watch time and again. A TV show, even a great TV show, you know, like The Sopranos, probably my favorite TV show of the last 20 years, uh, sitting down to rewatch that, that's a 90-hour investment. Who has time for that? So the idea of this piece is, look, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, what does it mean to even form a canon of great art? And can you form a canon of great TV? I just, I'm not 100% sure it's possible. What are the greatest five TV shows of the last 20 years, since you have obviously done the deep dive and the research here? <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, it, what would my five uh, personal favorites be? It's a, it's a slightly different question, right? But I would, I would go with uh, uh, the, the Sopranos, which I just mentioned, uh, The Shield, which is a, is a great show that was on FX. It kind of, in my opinion, it kind of really kicked off this boom of great TV shows. It was the first of the big basic cable shows to, to reach uh, not a large audience, but, a, but an important audience, an influential audience. Um, uh, I would say The Simpsons is probably one of one of the, my, or it, my one of my five favorite TV shows. Uh, Deadwood, Deadwood, I think is if I was going to pick one show that will end up lasting, it would probably be Deadwood, and we can discuss why I- I- in a sec. Uh, but uh, the the fifth show, uh, I, I, I would go with the comedy. I would go with uh, let's say Veep. I love Veep. Hmm. Interesting. You don't have the the usual Breaking Bad or The Wire on the list. Well, you know, I like The Wire, but I don't love it. Uh, and I, I, I like Breaking Bad a lot. I think Breaking Bad is one of these shows that kind of picked up steam uh, as it went. Uh, and one of the reasons it did this, and I kind of discussed this in the piece a little bit, is because of uh, the way streaming helped save it and bring it to a bigger audience. Uh, you know, if, if you look at the, the evolution of TV over the last 20 years or so, you see a medium that has uh, grown by picking up new distribution 
methods. Uh, and and when, you, when you're looking at, say, pay cable, you have the Sopranos, those shows. But then the expansion of basic cable was a big one, bringing in FX and bringing in AMC, where you kind of uh, you, you create, you had a much wider audience base because these channels were on so many networks, or, or were in so many, uh, so many homes, and people didn't have to pay extra for them. They were just on the basic cable packages. And then streaming, of course, you know, streaming Netflix and Amazon Prime, these are these are two massively popular services that are in hundreds of millions of homes. And uh, they they have pioneered kind of a new distribution model, Netflix in particular. You know, the thing about Netflix is that they don't just release a new show every couple of weeks. They release a new show and they release all the episodes of that show at once. And that has drastically changed how people watch TV. I mean, this, this whole idea of binging, you know, when has binging ever been a good thing? But now it is, it's just kind of taken for granted that's, that you binge watch a TV show. And yeah. that's, how you, that's how you catch up with it. That's how you kind of keep in touch with the culture. That's how you know what to talk about at the water cooler. Sonny Bunch, the executive editor of the Washington Free Beacon, thank you so much for joining us, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, team, we're rolling to a break. We'll be right back. Well, tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day, my friends, and I hope you've got some fun plans. Perhaps you're going to drink some beer with green food coloring in it, and hopefully you won't be walking through too much of what was formerly beer with food coloring in it in the streets, although people tend to get a little sloppy on St. Patrick's Day in some places, as you know. And there's finally a there's finally some pushback against the cultural appropriation uh, and and it turns out that, yeah, there aren't, in fact, any leprechauns. That's not a real thing that's out there. Uh, so maybe maybe we should stop associating on with leprechauns and fairies and sprites and other things. I don't know. Personally, I kind of like it. But then again, there's quite a separation between actual Irish people and now the generations of Americans that at one point came from Irish or some mixed stock like me. So uh, I hope you've got some fun plans tomorrow. I'm going to be laying low if I can, because I am right on the parade route. My apartment is going to be rocking. I mean, the windows are going to be rattled with the sounds of the bagpipers that are out there. And there's no escape for me. So I might as well just put on a kilt and get into it. So with that, I will now turn our attention to what you have to say, my friends, with some roll call. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. I really do feel like we're looking over emerald green fields and all the rest of it. The moment the bagpipes come up. But like I've said, okay, yeah, there we go. That's enough. Bagpipes are amazing for about 30 seconds. I originally said five minutes and people were like, that's way too long. And then I rethought it. You know, bagpipes are probably something you want for about 30 seconds. I think that's fair. So... Now, let's get into it. Brian writes the following. Oh, by the way, if you want to be a part of Roll Call, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Make sure you follow the page, by the way, and then you can send me your thoughts there. All right, Brian, he's up first here. He writes, savor the flavor. Nice Tommy Boy reference. Great show. Love the deep dive into the mind of the social justice warrior. Well, Brian, thank you so much. I do a lot of research throughout the day, and, and my mission is to always bring you things 
as much as I can that you won't hear anywhere else. And there are things that you want to hear because I know that you've got a lot of options out there for people to give you their opinions. I try to do more research than all the rest of them and try to be more original than most of them. If, yeah, well, I'll just say most of them. So thank you very much for enjoying the show. And yes, that was Savor the Flavor was a very subtle Tommy Boy reference I made yesterday on the show about being wrong. Turns out, by the way, that uh, I got to give producer Mike a code red because Fox News reported that McCabe's birthday is, in fact, this Sunday. That was the report from Fox News, which is why, because when he hits 50, that's when he can retire. It's an age. It's an age restriction. So, which, by the way, it seems pretty young to retire, right? I'm hoping when I'm 50 that I'm going to be hitting my max bench press. I'm not looking to retire at 50. 50, it's like I'm just going to be getting started. Be like the next chapter of Buck. All right, Jason is next up here. He writes, oh, wow. He took a photo of the Blue Cat Lodge, which is featured in, uh, which is featured in the show Ozark. And it turns out it's a real place. Which is pretty cool. Did not did not know that. Well, thank you very much. All right, next up here, uh, we have Mark, who writes, When I was in high school, I had a teacher named Mary Elizabeth Sexton, and she was fantastic. She was one of the nicest people you've ever met. After I graduated and I was in the Marines, I stopped by to visit her a couple of times when I was home on leave. I've wondered many times what happened to her. Uh, I'm an old guy, graduated high school in 61, so she would probably be 80-ish if still with us. I wonder if she is a relative of yours, and if so, could you tell me a little bit about her? Here's a picture. Um, oh, she seems like a very nice lady, Mark. I uh, cannot say that I'm aware of any relation. Sexton is an occupational surname, which I think a lot of people are surprised when they hear a Sexton is the person who collects money in a church. He's the, the lay person who works in a church, uh, digs the graves, in fact. So I'm like, grave digger! You know, you could get, like, all the flames coming out of the side of my giant 4x4. Grave digger! Isn't that a thing, right? The, yeah, that's a, one of those... Uh, isn't it uh, Bigfoot and great... Monster trucks! That's what I'm thinking of, thank you. Monster truck rallies. Sexed in the grave digger! Uh, so, yeah, there you go. But we also collect the money and are generally, hopefully, nice people to just say hi to in the church. That's what Sextons are. So I'm affiliated with the church, my friends, in some way. All right. Um, next up here. Oh, wow. We got so many, so many messages coming in. Thank you all. I really appreciate them. I will read all of them. Even if I don't, if it doesn't make it on air today, do not fret. There will be more opportunities, and I will certainly read them. And this guy, TJ, gets a huge high five because he actually has a Shields High t-shirt on in his facebook photo and also with uh his very lovely wife i'm uh, i'm assuming could be girlfriend but his wife uh and uh, that makes me uh, that reminds me we're going to be revamping and reworking on merchandise in the team buck store i've actually just been talking today to our design team about that we're going to make some really cool stuff for 2018 and uh, maybe even partner up with some folks to sell really really neato i just said neato that's the first really Hip, hip things in the uh, Team Buck store. So TJ writes, Buck, you're so far out of your game trying to talk about cattle. Steer equals full-grown male that was castrated as a calf. Cows, while usually a term for cattle, is specifically a female. On that note, it's not uncommon to have Rocky Mountain Oyster Festivals out here in the Midwest. Rocky Mountain Oysters are actually not bad. I think I'd put them above chicken gizzards. 
well, thank you for schooling me on steer. I will be among the first to admit, I will be the first to admit that I do not know anything about livestock. So we do not come across a lot of uh, that here in Manhattan where I grew up. Um, Next up here, Bill. Bill writes, Buck, love the show. Can you give us the progressive mentality article link once more tonight, please? Seem to perfectly encompass the left and their approach to debate. Shields high. Bill, absolutely. And you are a very helpful reminder. I forgot to tweet that out last night. I'll share it with you. The psychology of progressive hostility, producer Mike. We got to put that up on BuckSexon.com and also on Facebook so everyone can read it. Because I went through it in some detail last night on the show. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Kirk, he writes, Buck, thanks for speaking out on Stephen Hawking. Yes, he was brilliant and showed incredible courage persevering through ALS. However, for the left to cast him as the genius of our time regarding astrophysics and the universe is irresponsible. Then again, what's new? I find one of the greatest minds in astrophysics is actually a Jesuit priest, Father Robert Spitzer. He combines faith and reason. He discusses the expanding universe theory, which even most atheistic scientists are on board with. Simply put, if the universe is expanding constantly, there has to be a beginning. You hear nothing about this in the mainstream because it challenges the sacred Big Bang. Thanks for speaking up again where it counts. Kirk from Houston. Well, Kirk, thank you very much. I'm glad you uh, appreciated me taking a little bit of a diversion or digression into uh, Hawking. And like I said, I, I am somebody who you I would not be able to help my future children with their high school geometry homework. Uh, but I do read and think a lot about these things. And Hawking has become or became more a media celebrity than a scientist in a lot of ways. All right. Here we go. Whoa. Uh, Jackie writes, Buck, love your show. Been with you many years now. Just listening to last night's show and I have to speak up. I have a friend who's a flight attendant and always ask her the other side of the story. There is always another side. For the most part, the airlines are not the ones handing down the ridiculous rules and regulations the government is. No, you're right. You're, I, I get it. I know. The FAA. Absolutely true. And I'm glad that Jackie is pointing this out uh, because while we come down really hard on the airlines, the really stupid regulations, the ones that are like, don't use your Kindle during takeoff because it's going to interfere with our systems, which is... That was the rule for years. They finally got rid of it because it was so stupid. But that comes from the uh, the FAA. And so the FAA should get its fair share of hostility as well. And Jackie writes that she has two carpet sharks. Dun it, dun it, dun it, dun it, dun it, dun it, dun it. Carpet sharks. Um, check out Caruso, the celebrity dachshund on Facebook. He is quite the celebrity. Love my doxies. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Jackie. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fond of carpet sharks as long as they don't try to eat me. It's when they try to eat me that I get a little sad. Uh, so, oh, we've got, an inter- well, we've got one international team buck, and then I've got to close up the Freedom Hut for the weekend and go. I'm going to pretend like I'm going to party over St. Patty's Day and drink. I'm such a teetotaler, man. I'm going to, yeah, at least producer Mike's wearing a green shirt. I'm, I got nothing on. Although I wore my green tie today on Trish Regan's show on Fox, New- Fox Business and during Outnumbered. Rocket a green tie with shamrocks on it, no less. That's right. That's like plus three points for Ireland. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders in the press conference today, also a very pleasant shade of green. All right, Hannah from Israel is right. And I love the international team, Buck. 
When you mentioned on Wednesday's show that your podcast was good for a commute, I said yes out loud. I commute once a week from across Israel from the north to the middle of the country to visit family. It's a two and a half hour drive each way, and your podcast makes me look forward to the time in the car. You make what could be a very unpleasant trip something I actually look forward to. Thank you. Well, Hannah, thank you very much. That's a very kind note. And it is my honor and privilege to be able to uh, keep you company as you are traversing the great state of Israel, or the country thereof. Uh, So, thank you so much, everybody. I I just realized now I've got to shut down the Freedom Hut for the day, but we'll be back on Monday and every day next week. We've got some exciting stuff already in the works. I'm going to be very mean and make producer Mike work on things all weekend that are going to make the show sound even cooler. But he's he's down because I'm going to send him some Guinness. So he'll have something to, to uh, help him drown the sorrows. And John, make sure that you come up rested and ready. You're in every day next week, my friend. Happy St. Patty's Day to the crew here. I'm sorry, St. Patrick's Day, but I'm Irish. I can say whatever I want. Happy St. Patrick's Day to all of you at home. And uh, that's, how, that's where we're going to do it. Oh, um, I thought I had an announcement, but I actually don't. Basically, go on Facebook, go on Twitter, follow me there if you're not already. Send me thoughts for the show going forward. And... Uh, Have a great holiday weekend, everybody. Celebrate in whatever way you see fit, if that includes just sort of doing what you always do and not paying attention to this uh, celebration of Irish Americanness. Well, that's fine, too. See you on Monday. Shields high.